Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. O salt crescent moon, moon of lonely vespers, moon of absence and vigils, surveyor of milky midnight fields, medieval moon, moon of crop and tide, protector of lookouts, guardian of menses, the great white awaiting, waiting, waiting for the moon underwater. And welcome all, welcome every single one of you to the correct realm. Uh, this is a realm apart from the other realm where you'll be listening from. And within this realm is a pub beyond all knowledge, a tavern, I guess, surpassing wisdom. It's the moon underwater, the pub of dreams where I, landlord John Robbins, invite guests to fill that pub with whatever their heart so desireth, and with me as ever is my bar swain, um, my regular at arms. It's the lovely Robin Allender, and Robin, in the other realm, it's sort of that period after Christmas where all the holly doth wilt. So, how does it find thee? Yes, it's a, it's always a strange time of year. The period between. Uh... New Year and Christmas, isn't it? <laughs> I saw someone tweet that yesterday. I thought that was quite funny. It <laughs> <That> is funny. <laughs> it is funny. But the, no, the period between Christmas and New Year always rather strange, isn't it? How do you feel your time? You just had some uh, a kind of what I can only describe as breakfast bruschetta. Do you want to talk me through that? Uh, yeah, I've just eaten a classic uh, sourdough toast with raw onions and raw tomatoes, balsamic vinegar, and a bit of gorgonzola on there. Uh, it's you know, it's what gets me up in the morning. I would hate to see your colon. I saw it once during a procedure, and it, was, it looked surprisingly well. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but let's banish all talk of colons from the <laughs> uh, from the beginning of our sojourn. Um, mm. Christmas tide, Robin. Christmas in drinks, drinks in Christmas. Discuss. Well, yes, it was a it was a boozy Christmas. The thing I overdid it on Christmas Eve. 
and Christmas Day I felt very ropey. And what had you selected as your festive drink of choice to bring in the season's best? Ten pack of Stella. (laughs) Yeah, when you're kind of... um, We were watching... We were at my girlfriend's sister's house. And what did we watch? We watched Top Gun. And it was just so stupid and enjoyable that... And you know when you're just drinking a beer and you just find your rhythm? It just felt like they were going down in two gulps. Yeah, it's the closest I get to what sort of marathon runners must experience <laughs> when they're really going for a PB. Yeah, yeah. But so often I find, actually, I've so rarely hit my rhythms. I got into such a silly situation. So I didn't have anything to drink on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Well done. Because uh, I was at my folks and they don't drink. Um and I'd been reading this uh, play by Eugene O'Neill called Long Day's Journey Into Night. And he was like the real sort of first American hard-nosed sort of realist playwright. And it's about this family over the course of a day and everything sort of falls apart. And at the end, like, were you to play a game when you had a, a whiskey every time a character has a whiskey? <laughs> you, yeah. It's sort of like the, the Withnail and I game. This yeah. is not possible. Yeah. But because I was sort of reading this in a barren moment, I began to have all these fantasies of whiskey. Now, I hate whiskey. I've just always really hated whiskey. But about once every six to eight months, I think I should get get back into whiskey or whatever. Not that I've ever been into it. So on the way home, I bought a bottle of um, Johnny Walker Black because I imagined that would be the sort of whiskey they'd be drinking in this play. Sure. So Johnny Walker is is an American whiskey, isn't it, right? No, it's a Scottish whiskey. Oh, is it? But it's a blend, but it's a very well-respected sort of all-rounder blend. It sounds American, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. And Elliot Smith sings about it in uh, Miss Misery. I'll fake it through the day with a bottle of Johnny Walker Red. It's also Johnny Walker Red is mentioned in the Trembling Bells and Bonnie Prince Billy song... uh... I uh, can't remember which one. It's definitely the coolest coolest whiskey with those credentials, isn't it? It is pretty cool. It's sort of the hipster whiskey, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But I So I got home at like 11am and I thought, God, it would be really just like the people in the play if you had a slug of this before lunch. But I didn't because I thought it's ridiculous. Yeah. So only about four o'clock, I poured myself one, mixed a bit of water in, tasted it. Absolutely disgusting. Oh, God. Do you throw it down the toilet? No, I've kept it because I might give it. To, you can have it if you want. Okay. It like all then that evening, I was sort of a bit like a overexcited kid, didn't know what to have next. Yeah. So I like had a Guinness and then a ale, and then I thought, oh, I really want um, a snowball, but I'd run out of. Well, I'd poured all my Varnix down the sink. <laughs> so I walked to the shop, and they didn't have any Varnix, but they did have vodka and tear maria so i thought oh i'll make white russians and then i got home and it's just like it just i just felt awful and had none of the joy of drinking or the joy of christmas by the sound of it or- yeah <laughs> so i'd sort of been round the houses drinks wise yeah. and never really found my rhythm so i just went to bed oh dear but um yes a good christmas was was had by all i mean it is a, it's a weird time of year isn't it i feel, i always find i think something weird happens to your brain at the end of the year because you're you kind of you're drawn to make resolutions and things but you also know you're not going to keep to them so there's this horrible kind of accepting your own faults at this time of year 
Do you find that, or is that just me? No, I think you're right. But also, after the sort of build-up to Christmas, and whether that's a sort of a false crescendo or a genuine crescendo for you in your life, you have all that, and it's out of the way. And then suddenly you've got to have this sort of second wind Mm. where you're meant to, like, get excited about the new year and projects and changes to your life but at a time where actually you're just sort of full and have indigestion and are quite lethargic so it's it feels a bit always feels a bit like a false dawn false dawn year. yeah every every first of january I, I create a new folder on my laptop called the name of the year and you just you know you, you think oh this is where the, i'll put the novel you know yeah and at the end of the year you've just got PDF receipts and a spreadsheet of how of credit card debt or something, you know. But there's no such worry in the correct realm, right? You're because right. look around us. the The Christmas awnings. The great thing about uh, Christmas at the Moon Underwater is that the evergreen wreaths. We've got about sixty or seventy wreaths uh, along the bar here. They go from evergreen to sort of a more autumnal feel because they they brown, but in a not in a depressing way like death or a brown study or a brown study. They're not depressed, but the sort of the the berries shrivel, but in a nice way, like they've been properly dried. Right, right. So it's almost like the the the, the pub itself is is changing a, a season within a season, is what I want to say. Yeah, it's sort of going directly to kind of potpourri. Yes. Rather than kind of the the rotting stage in between. Yeah, there's no rot. There's no rot. It's either it's just dry flowers. It is just dry flowers. There is no sort of um, mulch on the woodland floor. We still have a few snowdrifts knocking around here in the correct realm as well. I actually got snowed into the uh, moon underwater in my mind on Christmas Day. <laughs> which is very strange. Sort of trapped in my own imagination. Wow. Like, is that like your mind palace? You kind of go in there, but you got snowed into your mind palace, which is a pub. Well, also, I do need to pop in every day just to sort of dust and sweep. Yeah, yeah. But I like the way that that's somewhere you go, you know, in your own mind. Imagine if Sherlock... Holmes did that, went into his mind palace, but it was just a pub. So Watson's saying you've got a very far away look in, in his eyes. He must be cogitating, but he's actually just drinking like a pint in his in his head. That would, if I was Sherlock Holmes, that it would have to, it would drastically change the narrative of the stories. It would be about a genius who doesn't work, uh, but uses all his time to go to pubs in his mind. Yeah. But there's sort of no mystery to solve unless it be the mystery <laughs> yeah. of the pint. Yeah. Speaking of mist, Uri, um, how about I read out a few mists we've had in over the festive period? Yeah, and I must say, I loved the uh, sort of festive sigh that you wheeled out to sigh for the mist mail. Thank you. Yeah, I sort of had sleigh bells in the kind of, uh, in the sigh somehow, didn't it? Well, there was a touch of ho-ho-ho about it. <laughs> yeah, there was, actually. Yeah, you're quite right. And it sort of smelt of cinnamon. Mmm. And nutmeg. Mmm. Yes, yes, yes. <sighs> yes, that's it. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Well, let me just tell you this. We've had a mist in from Andrea from Germany. Dear John and Robin, although I am teetotal, I don't like alcohol. Sorry, do not apologise for that. I am a loyal listener. 
I only know a few drinks that you discuss, but it doesn't really matter to me. I have an unusual pub name for you. <laughs> it's Eggs Meadow. It is the name of a beer garden and restaurant in the commune Grundwald in Munich. Eerweiser, pronounced I-E-R-V-C, is the German name for Eggs Meadow. Okay, great. I was there in 2015 and enjoyed the relaxed atmosphere. If you travel to Munich, I recommend having a drink in the particularly snug beer garden during summer. Speaking of travelling, I would love to go back to Great Britain. I was lucky enough to do an internship in London a couple of years ago, so I caught a glimpse of British pub culture. Listening to you lovely lads makes me learn more of it, and your podcast is a relief in these difficult times. I hate to think that people kind of listen to this podcast and think this is what going to a pub is like. Like they'll go into a pub and start banging on about realms or something like that. <laughs> Well, that's what we do. We yeah, go I suppose to the pub right. in the other realm. Yeah. I love Eggs Meadow. Eggs Meadow. That sounds like where you'd get a good snowball from, wouldn't it? Oh, yes, in the meadow of eggs. Yes. Careful where you tread. <laughs> yeah. So Andrea says, your podcast, uh, as it's advised not to travel to Great Britain at the moment, your podcast realm is safe and entertains me. Thank you for that. Keep on doing great and stay healthy, please. Sounds like a note of desperation in there, Andrea. Happy New Year. <laughs> Thanks for that. Thanks so uh, much for writing Thank in. you so much, Andrea. And so nice that um, we have listeners who... Who gets something out of this realm without necessarily needing uh, to to drink them sen? I was thinking the other day. Do you remember where correct realm came from? Yes, it's my fr- it's our friend Alex, and it was to do with um, we were at ATP All Tomorrow's Parties, a music festival, and he came up with an idea of like a sports biography called the Correct Realm. With like someone like Des Lynam on the cover, looking a bit confused, like he'd been to a, the wrong realm for too long. <laughs> it was uh, very, very amusing. Um, anyway, so have we got time for another mist? Yes. Well, also, Andrea's email does rear the beautiful but also dreaded double-edged head of dry January, Robin. It does. It doth. When this murmuration reaches the ears of the other realm, we may well be a week into or or approaching a week into DJ uh, Delta Juliet. How are you feeling about that? Um, I feel okay. Also, I have a friend's birthday on the 6th. So I'm not, I'm going, I will drink for that. So I'm not, I, I, I'm not going to be kind of too puritanical about it. Well, I think that the trick is with that sort of thing is not to think, oh, because I'm having a drink on the 6th, I might as well bin the whole thing off and just drink every night. Exactly, exactly, yeah. I think it's important to go, okay, then, well, if I do 29 days off or 30 days off, that's still enormous achievement and a really good start to the year. Also, do a few in Feb. Do a few in Feb. Do a few in Feb. Let's make no hard and fast rules. Anyway, I've got a great missed mail in here from Russell. I really like this one. The subject is a missed mail from Pub Nirvana. Hello, gents. Loving the podcast. I don't know if you get many missed mails about the podcast being quite London-Bristol-centric, but if you do, then you should take absolutely no notice, because I bloody love it. During the summer of, tw- <laughs> During the summer of 2020, my fiancé, now my wife... And I moved my wife and I moved from a flat share near London's Old Street to a house in Kingsdown, Bristol, yes please, in order to be closer to family. My main reservation with the move was giving up London pubs. I love the pubs in our area, specifically the Wenlock Arms. Oh, what a pub. I don't think I've been there. 
Windlock what Arms. a pub. If that's the one I'm thinking of, that it's sort of um, serves uh, Dark Star. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's such a great pub. Uh, he says it's a really down-to-earth pub with a cracking selection of beers, good music, and an appropriate volume, no screens, no kitchen, just good vibes. It turns out I need not have worried. I now live in what I can only describe as the promised land of pubs. Every time I hear your good selves mention a Bristol pub, I am delighted to discover how close they are to my front door and set on my merry way for a session, if not right away, then at least very soon after. So he's in Kingsdown, which is... Yeah, he's in Kingsdown. So that would be close to... What was the pub we went to on my birthday when I didn't drink and I had that awful pint of cider? Oh, that is the Cotton Porter Stores. Yeah, the Cotton Porter Stores. Which I like that. It's got there's some good Beatles trivia about the Cotton Porter Stores. I'll go into it elsewhere. But um, yes, but you wait till you find out where Russell lives. During Liam Williams' episode, you mentioned the Green Man, and I punched the air. I live next door to this pub. And it is perfect. No way. The selection of local beers is completely unrivaled in the area. The staff are friendly. The locals are charming. The music is always great. And they sell rolls at the bar. What's not to love? Anyway, I didn't really have a point to this email (laughs) other than to thoroughly recommend visiting the Green Man next time you're in Bristol. I promise it won't disappoint. I personally dread ever having to move anywhere else as I've gotten quite used to my 19-second walk to the pub. Oh, God. All the best, Russell. Big fan of the Green Man. And older heads out there might remember it used to be called The Bell back in the day. Mm. Do you remember The Bell? Uh, Because we used to live quite close to there. But The Green Man is absolutely lovely. But what that email reminded me of is when we lived in that area. (laughs) Do you remember there was that Portuguese restaurant around the corner? Well, that's just what I'm thinking of, yeah. I was in the Daily Mail. (laughs) Yeah, this was John's first brush with fame, (laughs) pre-comedy. You weren't drinking and you went to this Portuguese restaurant. Uh, well, it was just run by one bloke, wasn't it? He cooked, he did the, he waited the tables, he did everything. Yeah. He said you weren't drinking, and he kicked you out. Yeah, it was slightly more unpleasant than that. So I was there, there with my then girlfriend Helen, and I think it was either I think it was her birthday or her anniversary, right? Mm. So we go into this restaurant, which we'd heard good things about, and <laughs> you were on Points West. We sat down, and I was on Five Live. Were you? Yeah, we, there was one big group in there, like a works Christmas do, I think it was. Uh, and we sat down on a table next to a fire, and the waitress came to take our orders and asked if we wanted any drinks, and we ordered, like, an orange juice and a coffee. Yeah. And she said, oh, do you know what you want to eat? And we ordered our starters, but said, oh, we need a bit more time to think about what we want for our main. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, she goes away. The chef comes back and says... Oh, I see you've made yourself very comfortable next to our lovely fire. Uh, but my uh, the waitress tells me that you uh, are not ordering any drinks tonight. I'd just like you to know that that's where I make all my money, through the drinks. I don't make it through orange juices and coffees. And I was wow. totally taken aback. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, we we tried to explain that we were having a meal, but I think he thought we just wanted starters. So he goes back to the kitchen Right. And I thought, I'm not having this. So I walked after him and said, I'm sorry, have we upset you? And then he sort of flew off the handle a bit about not making any money. I think he was a bit drunk. I think the uh, his eagerness to finish up for the night and the proximity of the Bell Pub were not uh, mm. unconnected. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I was telling this story to a friend of uh, a friend of ours, uh, dad. John Lacuta. John Lacuta. Scoop Lacoop. He, he was a reporter for the Evening Post. So in the Evening Post, then it got picked up by the National Press. Yeah. 
And it was sort of around the time when binge drinking was like a big news story. Yeah. So guy gets kicked out of restaurant for not ordering wine was suddenly this um, this story and very strange. The funny thing was, I think it was around winter and the, the photo was taken of you outside and you had a very sort of red nose. So it did look like you were kind of recovering <laughs> from somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, very odd chapter in my life. That. <laughs> yeah, it was. You didn't drink for a whole year that around that time, didn't you? Two thousand five. Nearly two. Nearly two. Year and a half. Well done. Well done, everyone. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, got sidetracked. Thanks, thanks, Russell, for the for your missed. Thank thanks, you. Russell, for your email. And also, I should point out that Robin and I are keen as long as sort of when the whole unpleasantness in the other realm, because there's actually no COVID in the correct realm. Um, but when it dies down, we are keen to visit some other cities and report back with stories of pubs far and wide. Uh, but at the minute, that doesn't really seem a particularly sensible thing to do. So, folks, I'm about to just check that all these wreaths are in perfect working order for our, our guest. And just a reminder that you can support The Moon Underwater uh, by going to moonunderwater.com. And you can also buy some lovely merchandise We've got pint glasses. We've got signed prints um, of the lovely artwork by Jem Ward. And do follow Jem on uh, social media because he does lots of different designs for lots of different things. And they really are corking. I think his Instagram is Jem P. Ward, as I live and breathe. That's... No, it's not. It's Jem H. Ward. So it's J-E-M-H-P-W-A-R-D. So I actually got that wrong twice. So it's Jem, uh, J-E-M, H-P, as in the source, Ward, as in the part of a hospital. Uh, and you can follow him on Instagram and check out all of his wondrous designs. Uh, but now we pray silence as we await the visitation of this week's guest. Could you hear that sound in the distance coming over the sort of various coastal paths and caves and glens? What, like the sort of wild animal being carried on the wind? Yes, but it's the sound of... Uh, and, the, and it's funny that you should say wild animal because it is the, the horns, the specific watchmen towers and watchwomen towers along the coast of the sort of the edge of the realm they they will sound their horns, which are made to look, I believe, like sort of wild boars, tusked mouths. Like, it's sort of basically, they ripped it off of Lord of the Rings, I right, think. Right, but with sound rather than kind of fire. Yeah, so sound is the fire of, of the ear. Sound is the fire of the ear. Sound, sound is the, obviously the, the, the fire of the ear. Uh, fire is the sound of the right. eye. Um, I think that's probably engraved in runes somewhere around them. But the the horns are getting ever louder, which means I think that our guest is approaching the threshold of the moon underwater. And yes, the horns did not lead us astray for into the moon underwater walks Dotton Adebayo. Hello, Dotton. Hello, <laughs> the sound of fire. From my ass. <laughs> John's familiar with that. It is. Yeah, we're all familiar with those 
sounds. Uh, Dotton, thank you so much uh, for joining us here at the Moon Underwater. Do pull up a seat. What's your uh, pub seat of choice? Because it will it can be found for you. Well, in the winter, it's got to be by the fireplace. If pubs still have this kind of old style fireplaces and everything, I always felt that the people who sat by the fireplace were supposed to be there. So. All other customers know, no, no, don't go and sit there. That's old Joe's spot, you know. So if yeah. you have that spot to yourself, you know that you're wanted. And uh, well, we can we can move from the bar here down to the fire at the Moon Underwater. Are you in the saloon? The saloon bar. Well, we're in. There's a saloon bar, a lounge bar. There's um, a rear bar, an under bar, um, and a games room, of course. Of course. Uh, but we can we we're, we can move from the bar here to the to the fireplace. Um, we've got eight or nine different fireplaces. It is winter after all. It is. But don't you hate it when you manage to nab the seats by the fire and then after you've warmed up for about two minutes, you're then too hot? Yeah, it's horrible. You do not want to give up your seat. No. You know, it's the the best seat in the house and the fire is actually burning your ankles at this point. However, you have got a drink. Well, okay, let's all take our tops off and sit by the (laughs) fire. Wouldn't that be lovely? What an image. So... Dotton, my first question to you is, I think, a question I've asked you before, but it bears repeating because amongst the many, many things you've done, the many projects you have, you're best known for hosting Five Live 1 a.m. Yes. until 5 a.m. I've got to ask you about your body clock and your your sort of pub because you host Wednesday to Friday, isn't it? No, Monday to Friday now. Monday to oh, Friday. Oh, Monday to Friday. For last year and a half, yeah. So, what does that do to you? And how do you do? You have a sort of a an evening social life Monday to Friday. How do you how do you manage that? It's a difficult one. Um, I won't lie. I think in my younger days, when I first started, so I've been doing it for 20 years now. So let's say, um, you know, when I was about 40 years old, that's my younger days. I I thought I could sort of burn the candles at both ends. So I carried on the lifestyle that I had previously. And I I literally, you know, came from, um, I don't know, it might be a gig or a a club at 11 o'clock at night or whatever and rolled in and did my job and uh sometimes I even went with the crew funnily enough uh, it was a tradition uh when the program the overnight program was still called up all night it was a tradition to go to the pub after at five o'clock in the morning and there'd be yes uh, there'd be a pub at Smithfield's market that was open all night for the porters and everything like that and they literally would go there and drink till midday so you'd come out and it'd be daylight the middle of the day and that is certainly for the younger people but anyway back to your question as I get older I realize I'm actually in the age group that needs a siesta before I just stay up all night so if I can manufacture it in because I don't force myself there's no way you can sort of like sleep sleep I can sit in bed for hours and not sleep But I do try and time myself out before about six o'clock in the evening. And when it gets dark or in the summer, when it's still light, go and lay my head down for a little rest. And, you know, I find that even if it's just a half hour kip, 
it actually suffices to carry me through the rest of the night. Sometimes, though, I won't lie, you know, circumstances, whether, like, tomorrow I have to go to a funeral, for example, if that was on a normal day that I was working, well, that takes out such a chunk of the day, you still have to work afterwards. So you're you're working on maybe 75 or 80% of your engine. Tell us about the the pub in Smithfield. What's a pub like at five in the morning? It's, I mean, I've never, and I like to think I've had a lot of different pub experiences. I have never been to a pub at five in the morning. What sort of people are there? Yeah, so that's the question to <laughs> yeah. ask. Because remember, it's a pub that is open because there are lots of porters at Smithfield's meat market uh, overnight. And it's most interesting to see the people who aren't porters, who are clearly not coming in white overalls drenched in oxblood. Um, they're the ones that you think, hang on, this is London at least at night time. So there'll be um, a range of actors who are coming off the West End stage and, you know, after an evening out, they're rather like me, although they're not as late as me, but Basically, back to your initial question, their social lives are ruined because of the schedules that they have to keep. So to sort of maintain a semblance of that social life, they'll go to the pub afterwards and uh, there'll be, you know, a few sort of shady characters as well. But, you know, I'm, I'm just assuming they're shady characters because, you know, they snoop, they talk like this, you know, hiding things under the thing. And you say, look, I've got the shooter, I've got the shooter under the table, yeah. And, you know, you could borrow it for a couple of days, but you've got to bring it back, you know what I mean? And so I'm assuming that they're shady characters, but obviously they could be Oxford academics. And um, then... I think, I don't remember many women. I don't remember many women at that time of night. I could be wrong, but I don't remember many women. This is going back many years, as I say. And there's a similar pub in Manchester that they go to. And I think that is an out-and-out post-performance venue for actors. But it's a similar kind of thing. There, the crowd's a bit more rowdy, a lot more younger people there. At Smithfields, there weren't a whole load of younger people. It's, you know, middle-aged people like me who don't have a home to go to, like me. Are pubs like that still open in London? Like, I think it yeah. is. I think it is still open, yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't think they can close it because it's, it's necessary. You know, you're working all night yeah. long. You've got to go for a little bit of a break. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I totally get that if, say, your shift finishes at 4.30 in the morning, and you're going to go to sleep at like 10 in the morning or whatever, whatever your sort of body clock is attuned to when you're working nights. Because I've worked nights and it is ho- horrible. It messed with my head so much. You've just suddenly, I don't know if you went through this when you first started adjusting to it, but you think, oh, I'm doing all right. And then suddenly you're just crying <laughs> for no reason. Of course, of course. Do, do people in a pub, if you're going to the pub at five, say you finished your shift or whatever, or you're an actor... Are there people in the pub looking at their watches going, oh, bloody hell, it's, it's, it's eight in the morning. I better go. I bet that's me done. How do you, when do you know when to stop? You, that's a very good question. You've got all the right questions. Um, I think the beauty of a pub, and particularly these pubs, they tend to not have a much, a lot of daylight coming through. So you don't see the turning of the day at all. So you literally, when you come out, it is daylight and it hits you like a rocket. And if it's sunny as well, well, you know, you're unsober. It's a hot morning. Uh, it's not going to go down too well. I don't remember people looking at their watches. I think 
people are generally there for the duration. Um, in the old days, I used to go to an actor's pub by the Angel Islington, and what they used to do was just like lock the doors at uh, midnight, let's say, when the pubs used to close at 11 o'clock. can't remember what that pub's called. It's a famous one. Red Lion? I think yeah, it's called the it Red Lion. Yeah, it is Red something, because Angel is one of the... I'm pretty sure I'm right in this. One of the London tube stops that's actually named after uh, a yeah. pub. Always comes up in pub quizzes, doesn't it? Yeah. I'd rather have that than the ones that's named after a football club that should never have been allowed to have been built. That station is illegal as it stands today, named after a football club that, by the way, uh, has moved from there, only up the road, but nevertheless, as you can tell, I'm from the uh, I'm the I'm from the right side <laughs> of of North London, <laughs> although I should add the poorer side of North London and the pubs where I grew up, flipping out, when I grew up, those pubs were filled with like, um, you know, working men in flat caps and smoking tabs and all of that. And we used to sneak in and nick the bottles of beers because you could take them back for threepence off, you know, returning the bottle and all that. So, but yeah, the one in Angel, uh, that pub, I think, I'm pretty sure it's the Red Line, they would lock the doors about midnight and it's kind of like, hang on, the doors are locked. I just have to keep drinking, yeah. you know. You don't sort of say, uh, at one o'clock, oh, do you mind opening the door so I can go out? <laughs> you just stay in there like everybody else. So it suddenly, organically sort of dissipates and then people are crawling home and you follow them. Mm. So tell us about uh, the pubs you remember growing up and is the pub you're going to create here in the moon underwater is it going to be similar to those or are you going to make some changes that you wished you could have made at the time oh okay well the pub that i remember most famously from when i was growing up was a pub called the salisbury pub on the corner of st anne's road and green lanes in london n4 um, around the tottenham area where i live it's more kind of herringay there it's a pub on the corner it's an old sort of victorian pub and it's got all the the name of the pub is also engraved in a kind of a metal thing above the door. And it's very ornate. And when I remember bunking in there, and literally in those days, you weren't allowed into pubs until you were about 16, I think. And I remember sort of literally probably eight years old crawling in on my hands and knees because the pub was packed. You know, I thought it was a huge place at the age of eight and I thought there were like hundreds of people there but I've sub I've subsequently been back as an adult and obviously it's not as big as I thought it was and the crowds aren't there anymore you know the the people that went for a drink straight after work and stayed there till closing time they're not there the the dogs uh Herringay Stadium which was down the road has closed down obviously and that probably killed a lot of the clientele at the time, but I have sort of fond memories of smoky. It was always smoky. Now, a hundred working men in a pub, there's going to be a lot of smoke. And we, we would like crawl in on our hands and knees and sort of like nick the bottles off the tables. <laughs> I was probably the smallest one, so they'd always tell me to do it. And uh, you just got a sense of a world that didn't exist. Didn't exist for my family because I come from a uh, migrant family, an African family. Neither of my parents drank. I, I doubt I would have been horrified if I ever saw my father in the pub because it just didn't enter into the conversation. Really? The idea yeah. of, no, I mean, the idea of spending some of your hard-earned money on drinking alcohol uh, or 
socialising in there. You know, my father always felt that we were above that. You know, it was very much a working class experience in those days, <clears throat> going to the pub unlike now. Yeah. Or, as the great Sir John Betjeman always put it, the village inn, the dear old inn, so ancient, clean and free from sin, where Hodge sits down and talks of Marx and nuclear fission without a rustic's intuition. Ah, the village inn is the place for me. So spake the brewer's PRO, a man who really ought to know if he gets paid for saying so. Although our village inn was like very much an urban inn. It wasn't the, um, I think in that poem, Betjeman says, more ancient than the wield or wold and almost equally as old. Ours wasn't that, but it was a vibrant, uh, a wonderful place. Brilliant. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, I'm Adam Hurry, host of Football Clichés, a truly unique podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Twice a week, my guests and I tear apart the language of football, the words, the phrases, the mannerisms and the weird habits of everyone involved in the game. From the shoes that football pundits are legally required to wear, to the didn't play for Sam Allardyce's Bolton but really should have done 11, Football Clichés explores all the tiny things that you didn't realise you cared about, but believe me, you do. We need to start filling your dream pub and we might get into what specifically that pub looks like a little bit later, but could you give us your first two draft choices, please, Dotton? Oh, well, let's go for the old school, like I say. So if you don't mind, let's roll out the barrel. We'll have a barrel of fun. And, and that would be Watney's Pale Ale. Wow. Really? Old school. Yeah. Do they still make it? Is it still a- a- available? Because that is the that is the classic one. Whenever you read like a beer guide or a, a book of something set in a pub in the seventies, it's always Watney's Red Barrel, isn't it? And you know. they were the Watney's. I think 
Watney's or Perps in Coote were probably the biggest, I think Watney's were the biggest brewers in London, at least. They were the brewers. So in those days, pubs were affiliated to the brewers or owned by the brewers and just leased out to the landlord. And Watney's was everywhere where I lived. Yeah. Is there something t- that you drink today, which you think that that tastes a little bit like Watney's for for us to kind of have an idea of what it might have tasted like at the time? That's like asking me, is there an aftershave that we will get the sort of old spice or brute 33 feeling from. And thankfully times have moved on (laughs) since uh, girls dated you because you were splashing on the old spice. (laughs) Thankfully times have moved on. There are, there are so many other options Mm. now. No, I I, I don't think there is, but I mean, I'm sure somebody will be able to tell us if there is some of this. I think you can still get Watney's pale ale in the party seven can oh that's so, the way to do it forget the draft i don't know whether that's always been available or whether it was sort of brought back as a bit of a retro thing because that was always the sort of one option you had in the 70s or 80s to go to a party with one of those sort of kegs those mini kegs but then in the past five years they've come back in fashion so you can go to tesco and get one of i don't know um ghost ship the adnams in a in a keg but i think watney's pale ale is now brewed by sam brooks and sam brooks makes some fantastic uh, beer so who knows what it tastes like now but it's doesn't matter if they don't make it anymore i'm but- surprised there isn't like a tribute pub in stoke newington or something that sells watney's just just watney's you know it would be stoke yeah. <laughs> if there is one it would be in stoke <laughs> so watney's pale ale is your first on draft my the best my mind can come up with is that it's 4.2%, uh, and I'm sure it is. Uh, what would be your second choice? Oh, again, I have to go old school. Um, Worthington is the beer, the satisfaction, yeah. It's a Worthington E. I don't know the rest of it. But yeah, let's go for Worthington E. Worthington E. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. It's like I'm going back in time to a time I didn't even <laughs> really remember. Well, this is, remember a few weeks ago I had my Bristol pub guide from the 70s every single pub was mm. watney's and e i couldn't work out what e was for ages but yeah <laughs> that was very much the, the what was going in the 70s for sure mm. so you said dotton that your your dad wasn't one for for pub drinking so who was it that sort of introduced you to to worthington e and to watney's pale ale what was your sort of gateway to the to the pub was it those trips to retrieve bottles as an eight-year-old or was there an exp- do you remember your first sort of drink in a pub i remember my first drink of alcohol and that was funny because um it was actually my father uh, unwittingly that introduced me to my first drink in, in those days so we would have lived in two rooms downstairs um sort of two up two down we're living downstairs and uh, my father was still quite a young father, you know, because um, I, I, I was born when my father was 23 and my father also had an older son. And so they were still partying. So, but they were partying amongst other middle-class Nigerians, as it were. I mean, I say middle-class, even though we had very humble circumstances, but uh, that's where we saw ourselves or my family, my father saw himself because, you know, he was studying to be a scientist amongst other things and he'd been a broadcaster before. Anyway, they used to have parties and I remember, because we were only two rooms, our bedroom would be 
sort of appropriated to be part of the party. They used to keep all the beer there, all, all the alcohol. And given that my parents didn't drink alcohol at all, and they probably bought way too much alcohol for the guest, there'd be this half a room full of alcohol that was never going to be drunk in our house until the next party. And I tried, you know, as you would, it's in my bedroom after all, the bedroom I share with my brothers, and, um, you know, tried a little bit. Unfortunately, I tried, I started off to start, I tried the Guinness, that was the one that I'd heard of. And uh, as an eight-year-old, you don't want to try the Guinness, yeah. you know, try something <laughs> nice and sweet yeah. if you want to become an alcoholic. <laughs> but uh, So that put me off for some time. So I wasn't, I was going in the pubs and not really drinking i think i tasted uh watney's first of all in a sort of a party seven can so i would have just gone to parties in those days you know when i'm sort of like 16 maybe 15 16 at school i'd have gone to parties not really drinking but because all the other older boys were drinking and like my older brother i went to a party because his party he went to like a roughneck school and the parties they had were proper proper parties and I, I think I'd have just tasted it, you know, because they bought some party sevens and that was one that I recognised from the TV adverts. Probably more than anything, it was the TV adverts. The first time I remember really going to pubs and there were more bars to drink was <clears throat> when I went to study in Stockholm. And um, I, I still wasn't drinking. The cost of alcohol was so expensive. I didn't have very much money as a student there. Uh, but I had a friend who liked to get drunk. He just liked to get drunk. Uh, he just drank <laughs> and uh, we'd go out and I really didn't want to drink. But after a while of sort of ordering Coke or whatever, you start ordering beer and um, I don't know. I just started getting drunk because, uh, you know, that seemed like the way to fit in socially, if you like. Fantastic. So Stockholm was your introduction to the Yeah, the, the expensive pub. place to be a student for sure, isn't it? It yeah. wasn't cheap. <laughs> I could say in those days, flipping act, it was not cheap at all. And the alcohol used to cost, uh, let's say, about 250 a pint. And that was that was at least double what it cost here in England at the time at least double. I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that people were actually paying this money. But you know, um, you go to a bar, we used to go to a bar called The Red Room, in translation, Röder Rumet. And that was a huge old sort of like, if you can imagine a sort of a German beer palace kind of place. And there'd just be all these waiters and waitresses, an old school place. And they'd come and charge you like 250 for a beer. You're like, what? But what could you do? Well, I did similar, when I went to Iceland years ago, it's always been sort of the reputation of the sort of Scandinavian countries not not that i don't think iceland is scandinavian but you know what i mean that for some reason alcohol is insanely expensive and we went to this off license in iceland and you're you can only buy alcohol either in a licensed pub or bar or restaurant or in these sort of government run yeah licenses. sweden's the same with that unless you get very very weak beer which you can get you know yeah we went in with my girlfriend at the time and we thought, because it's our first night here, we'll get a nice bottle of wine and treat ourselves. So you look up to the top <laughs> shelf where the nice stuff is, and that's like 50 euros. Yeah. So then you look down to sort of what you would usually go for, like sort of Jacob's Creek, 
and that was like 25 euros. <laughs> and you find yourself sort of almost going down the, uh, sort of losing your dignity as you go further and further down. And at the bottom, they had these three litre, you know what you get, those glass sort of, what would you call them that you get scrumpy jack in? It's a certain type of glass bottle. It's squat with a circular little glass handle. And they did the cheapest one. It was like 12 euros, one of these. So we got it and we put it in the snow outside our room. And actually it tastes really delicious because it was so cheap and crappy. But yeah, I remember thinking, oh, this holiday is going to be expensive. <laughs> Should I tell you, one of the funny, if I might just share an anecdote, one of the funniest things that I used to laugh my head off when I first went to Sweden at about 5.30, let's say, uh, on a Friday evening, I used to see all these people running, like, you know, normal people, older people, this, that, and just running in one direction. And then I discovered they'd be running to one of these government-owned off-licenses because that summer when I arrived in Sweden, um, which would have been the summer of 78, that summer when I arrived, they decided, basically, the price of alcohol is very expensive in Sweden because the government's got a theory. They've got an alcohol problem and people end up in hospital. They may as well pay for it, and, you know, to dissuade people. So, for example, in one of the local papers, one of the Swedish papers, I remember seeing this advert and it was a graph. And it was a graph starting on the top left-hand corner and just going downwards towards the bottom right-hand corner. And it was a it was a government ad, and it was saying, "Yeah, we, we at Systembolaget, which is what these um, government-owned off-licenses are called, we at Systembolaget are really pleased because you know our sales are really going down, and when our sales go down, it's good for the Swedish people, <laughs> so we're delighted." <laughs> but of course, what happens is that. Um, yeah, the, the summer that I arrived, they decided that the system Belaget would not open on a Saturday. So basically between six o'clock on a Friday evening and Monday morning at 10 o'clock, you could not buy any strong alcohol. You couldn't buy any wine. You couldn't buy the strong beer. You couldn't buy any spirits. You couldn't buy anything. Uh, you know, you could possibly just buy the very weakest of beers, as Robin was saying a moment ago, from the supermarket. And so people used to rush at 5.30 on a Friday evening to try and get to Stembalaki, you know, to just buy more alcohol than they needed, as you know. Anyway, but the other side of this, because the whole of Sweden and, you know, the other countries in Scandinavia are supplied by these government-owned off-licenses, imagine the buyers for these government-owned off-licenses. They are the most powerful people when it comes to buying, say, wine from vineyards in France or wherever, they get treated like kings. They get put up in chateaus and everything because they're not oh, buying. Wow. They're not buying for a store. They're buying, or a chain of stores, they're buying for an entire nation. And, you know, so they've got a huge amount of power, huge amount of power. So it's them. like a sort of the ultimate monopoly or cartel because they completely control the 12 red wines that an entire country are able to choose from. That's incredible. I'd never thought of that. Unless you go to Denmark, Copenhagen is the gateway to uh, what Swedes would call Valhalla, <laughs> heaven uh, for the Vikings, because <laughs> it, the laws are relaxed in Copenhagen. You can buy whatever you want, whenever you want, get drunk as much as you like. Still very expensive, but 
brilliant. Uh, not compared to Sweden. Really? No. I mean, if, if, if I'm going south, it's not expensive. Yeah. If I'm going north, yeah, probably. So we've got Watney's Pale, we've got Worthington E. There is a sort of a harking back in your pub. What would it look like? Would it look like the sort of pub you'd get Watney's Pale Ale or Worthington E in? Uh, would it look like that sort of pub? I mean, would it look like a 70s pub? Is that what you have in mind? I was thinking it would look like a library. Oh, yes, please. This is my pub. It would look like a library. Uh, the shelves will be up there. Cosy fireplace. A few sort of domestic armchairs. Old style domestic armchairs, you know, let's say from the 50s or something like that. I don't think it would necessarily look 70s, but it would be a reflection back or, if you like, a sentimental journey for people. I think the pub has the unique ability to be an extension of your home and people's homes are often, not always, reflective, whether it's because you've got family photographs up there or because you've got something that you bought there, you know, 20 or 30 years ago or something. Homes, even though they might have the most modern kitchen or whatever, they are kind of retro and they've, you know, your house has been standing there for 100 years. You can't help but acknowledge that somehow. And your own life story is like 50 or 60 years old. You can't help but reflect that. And I would just like a place for people to come and sit and reflect and enjoy and pick a book up, play the jukebox, but remind us of a quieter time that we kind of experienced with the pandemic to a certain extent, um, quieter on the streets, but a more sort of a slower pace of life, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I cannot wait to come to your pub. That's brilliant. This is right up my strasser. Hi, John. David Cameron here. Really enjoying Moon Underwater. Absolutely brilliant. I know you're manically busy, doing a great job, by the way. It's bloody hard. I think the team's coping extremely well. But do you have a moment for a word? I'd love to come on the Moon Underwater. Um, I'm on this number and V-free. All good wishes, DC. Dotton, we come to your next choice. What bottles are you going to be racing for at 5.30 on a Friday <laughs> yeah. afternoon to stock your dream pub? Yeah. You're not in Sweden anymore. You still race. You don't need to race. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but let me act like one of those Swedish wine buyers because I'd like to stay in a chateau in France. So I'll go for the Beaujolais, the Beaujolais uh, de Village, s'il vous plaît. Nice. Oh, Beaujolais. Are you having that chilled, or is that? No, I won't have it chilled. I prefer red wine unchilled. Um, the Beaujolais I fell in love with when I first started hitchhiking, uh, arrived in Paris, and time out of the time had said uh, there's the cheapest uh, place you can eat in Paris um, is a restaurant called Chez Miguel. No, sorry, Chez Miguel? I think it was Chez Miguel rather than... could be Casa Miguel, but I think it was Chez Miguel. And I'd seen it in time out. It said you could get a, f- a three-course meal for 50p, which, you know, even in 1977 or so is still very cheap. So I went along there and an uh, old lady comes out. And it's not there anymore, by the way, just in case anybody's rushing. But um old lady comes out, gives you a plate of... Uh, oh, it's three-course meal plus wine. 
you know. Ooh. Yeah, don't forget that bit. <laughs> I almost forgot. So she comes out and gives you the first course, which might be like a banana or something like that, and it comes out and gives you a plate of watery rice and uh, what we call the chicken back. You know, the chicken back is the part of the chicken that only the poorest people eat. You know, if they can't eat the sort of uh, fleshy legs and wings and everything else, they get the chicken back. You know, the back of a chicken is just full of bones, obviously. And um, so she give you a piece of chicken back and uh, for the dessert would be, you know, an apple or something like that. And then you get this, you know, the cheapest wine possible. And it was Beaujolais. And I thought, this isn't bad, is it? You know, <laughs> for 50p with a three-course meal, it's not bad. And that's one thing I've learned as well. Like my French friends tell us, we, we go to Paris a lot, me and my family, and our French friends, they'll always, you know, as soon as I get to Paris, I go and, and I, I don't drink very much, but... As soon as I get to Paris, somehow I just feel, first of all, the alcohol is a lot cheaper than over here. The wine is just cheap. Um, but also the variety that they have. I like port, you know, the one wine that I like to drink. I know people do it as an after-dinner drink, but I actually like port. It's very sweet, so it appeals to my taste. And they've got, you know, whereas here you have like two or three decent ports and then about 20 crummy ports in France they'll have like 50 crummy ports that are better than the best port in the UK as soon as I get to and it'll be half the price so um and that's the one that the French don't drink um you know so as soon as I get there I realize what the difference is and then of course our friends in Paris uh, they're great fans of Calvados because they're from Normandy. So, you know, my French um, friend Sam will say, Dotu, Dotu, <laughs> you must try this Calvados. This Calvados is the best Calvados in the world. <laughs> and it's good for This is the last of the Calvados. You must try it. Dotu, try it. And so I go and try some. I didn't have a taste for it, but, you know, when somebody's there to hold your hand and tell you about the history of Calvados, then you start enjoying it after a while. So your first bottle is Beaujolais de Village. De Village. Two de villages, village. Yeah. What would? What's your second bottle going to be? Ooh, I'm going to have to go for a bottle of port. Um, yes. Like I say... I do not know a decent port over here. I generally don't. I've I've had a couple of ports that kind of like aged and they do seem to taste better aged, but I can't tell you a particular one. So um Do you remember any of the, the French ports that you so desire? That they call it Porto over there, of course, but um gosh, I don't actually, but okay, just for want of a better one, let's call it and I will call it Cockburns, not Coburns, because I'm not posh. <laughs> well, you can have mystical French port if you want. I mean, it doesn't have it's Portuguese, have surely, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it'd have to be Portuguese. No, let's go for the Cockburns. Let's fly the flag. It's the best of a bad lot. Best of a bad lot. John, you had to stop drinking port, didn't you? Because you got gout. 
No, that's the lead singer of Kill. Oh, yeah. No, no, that was a that was a rumor. That was a rumor. <laughs> well, uh, we are about to come to the end of part one of our discussion with Dot and Adebayo here, and what a great time we're having! But we're going to leave you, listeners, on some pretty strung out tenter hooks uh, because before the end of part one, Robin is going to pose you the questions to the Moon Underwater Pub Quiz. Okay, everybody, pens out, eyes down, it's time for the quiz. He played for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger, that wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey have been deducted five points. Welcome to this week's pub quiz at the Moon Underwater. As ever, there are no prizes except the fun of taking part. I will read out three questions, and then I will go through the answers at the beginning of part two, and we can see how well you all did. So this week's quiz is about your friend and mine, first lines from novels. Ooh. How do you feel you, you're doing this, Dotson? Because you, you didn't you, you studied English in Stockholm, is that right? Uh, no, I studied Swedish. Oh, right. Okay. Swedish literature. Yeah. But it, it, it was the best of times and the worst of times, yeah. is all I remember. Yeah. <laughs> That's not... <laughs> Very good. Okay, (laughs) question one. It was a bright, cold day in April and the clocks were striking 13. Okay. Good one. It was a bright, cold day in April and the clocks were striking 13. Question two. If you really want to hear about it, the first thing you'll probably want to know is where I was born. Very good one. (laughs) Yeah, and what my lousy childhood was like and how my parents were occupied and all before they had me and all that David Copperfield kind of crap, but I don't feel like going into it if you want to know the truth. Have you got that? I'm not going to read it out again. Question three, bit bit tricky. By the way, that was the first book I ever read in Sweden. Really? I I knew it so well in English. I'd only been in Sweden two weeks and I read it from cover to cover, knowing everything in it. I couldn't understand Swedish, but I could follow it because I knew every single line. Wow. That's brilliant. It's a book that changed my life, really, that one. Incredible. For the worse. (laughs) So question three. It's quite a bit harder, this one. Question three. Yes, of course, if it's fine tomorrow, said Mrs. Ramsay. But you'll have to be up with the lark, she added. That's question three. Do you want me to repeat that one? Yes, of course, if it's fine tomorrow, said Mrs. Ramsay, but you'll have to be up with the lark, she added. So there we go. Well, what a little taste. A taste of some great literature tomes there. Um, (laughs) I did study English, and that's where where I'm at. Uh, But, folks... The tenterhooks are strung out over two episodes now, so as you go and recharge your glasses and skip to the next, you can think about the answers to those three questions, and we'll be back in part two with the answers. But just a reminder, if you want to support The Moon Underwater, the upkeep of this incredible, shifting, ancient atomic pub, go to patreon.com forward slash moonunderpod to find out all the many benefits you can get from chucking us a few quid hither and thither.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.